All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to the well here at STSA. My name is Father Anthony. It's great to see you all back here today on this Columbus Day weekend. We are in the fourth and final installment of a series called Highlight Reel. And if you're just kind of stopping by today or picking up the message here, we kind of do these things in series style, which is basically one sermon is not enough for me to talk about a topic. So we kind of break it up into four or five messages. So you're picking up the tail end of a message, but if you missed any of the first three parts, hey, Joe said whoever's off tomorrow, best way to spend your Columbus day would be to binge watch old sermons. I know that's why when people are upset, they don't get the day off, I get it, so that's fine. But those who are off, you can always go to, to church and click on the well, and there you can catch up on any of the first three parts of this series or anything that we talked about here anytime in the past. This series, we are talking about a disorder, a disease that is inflicting so many today, if not all of us today, living in the 21st century, and that disease is called OCD. Raise your hand if you have OCD. Raise your hand if you have OCD. You don't know, more people don't have OCD, you know OCD, what it stands for, right? It stands for Obsessive Comparison Disorder, and we all got it. Okay, just by means of us living in the 21st century social media world, uber connected to everyone and everything there is, we have this thing called obsessive comparison disorder, which means that for us these days, our concern is not, am I smart? It's, am I smarter? It's not, is my house big enough? Is it bigger than so-and-so? It's not, where is my position or my job or my salary, but are those things better than my cousin or my brother or my neighbor? We're always looking to measure where we are by where everyone else is. And we're kind of content with where we are. And then we see what someone else has. And even though nothing we had changed, all of a sudden we changed on the inside. We're not as content. We're always trying to chase that er. That's what we spoke about in the first week. That I want to have a house that's bigger, a job that pays more money. Okay, I want to be thinner. I want to be smarter. I want my husband to be uh, richer. I want him to be nicer. I want her to be less talkative or whatever you want to call it, talking less, whatever it is. I want my post to be more liked. All right, we always chasing after something. What we agreed in the beginning, as you just saw in that video, is that it never ends. Okay, that what we said in first week is there's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. There's no win because it never ends. Because if you're always chasing more, er, there's always going to be someone out there who has more. There's always going to be something else to get. There's always going to be more and more and more. And what we saw in the first week is that King Solomon compared living a life of comparison. He said, that is like chasing the wind. You can chase after it, but you can never actually get it. So the one who's always looking to say, am I okay, based on where everyone else is, We'll always feel frustrated. We'll always feel defeated. We'll always feel down. We'll never be able to be who God created them to be. And we did a series before this past summer, which is all about how we are each handcrafted by God, uniquely designed for a specific purpose. Each one of us is God's masterpiece. But you cannot live as a masterpiece if you're always comparing yourselves to other arts of work. Okay, and what I said two weeks ago is this is the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. The fastest way to kill your kids' specialness and uniqueness is compare them to the neighbor's kids. Compare your wife to your neighbor's wife. Compare your husband to your sister's husband. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. And instead of running our race, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, Instead of running our race, okay, and running in the aisle in the lane that God put for me, God created this lane for me. Instead of running my race, 
What I end up doing is I end up running like this, okay? And the runner who runs like this isn't gonna win the race. We need to run the race that God put in front of us. And if God put another race in front of somebody else, so be it. And God put someone else's race over here, they're gonna get a higher salary, okay, so be it. So-and-so's gonna have a bigger house, okay, so be it. So-and-so, you know, got married at whatever age, okay, so be it. So-and-so has more kids than me, okay, so be it. This is the race that God put in front of me. And we're gonna run that race and we're gonna be super focused on running our race because nobody, this is important if you struggle with OCD, nobody can beat you at being you. Nobody can beat you at being you. You will be the best you, and if you run your race, you will always win. But where we lose is we start to look around. That's why what I've asked you every week in this series, and I'll throw it out there again, the most important question you need to answer by the end of this series is, who or what is going to be the reference point to tell me I'm okay? Who or what am I going to choose to be the reference point in my life? Who or what am I gonna measure against to determine if I'm okay? Everyone has a reference point. So if my salary is a certain point, that's my reference point. I need my salary to be at this point. I need a house that's this size. What's your reference point? Is your reference point someone's approval? All right, is your reference point is your sister or your mother or your father? Or forgive me, some people are the reference point is someone who's not even alive at this point. But you're living for the approval of someone who's passed away several years ago. Like, what's your reference point to determine I'm okay? I don't need to compare. I'm gonna be okay where I am. That's why what we've been doing in this past series, or in this series, past few weeks, is challenging you, okay? I challenged you and myself and all of us to wake up and to snap out of it and to learn to be grateful for what we have as opposed to always looking at what we lack. And one of the things that we talked about even is trying to get rid of some of the things that take away from our gratefulness, specifically social media. And I told you all last week about how I challenge you to not just to cut some social media, but some, or to cut it out or to cut back on it. And I know, I told you last week, several people did that and posted on social media how they're cutting back on social media. So, I mean, like whatever, okay? I just, it takes some time to warm up into it, but whatever it may be, all right? And I know some people have been doing that and that's great. But what we wanna talk about today is how to turn the short-term gains that we've been trying to make, focusing on being grateful, cutting back on, on the things that make us compare, how to turn the short-term into long-term. Because let's be honest, we said that we would try to give thanks for three things every single day and be grateful for three things, and I hope that you've been able to do that, but let's be honest, there's gonna be some days it's harder to do that than others. There's gonna be some days where I'm gonna forget or I'm not gonna be able to think of anything. And we talked about cutting back on the social media, which is great, but let's be honest, it's not really sustainable to cut that out of our lives, all right? And even if we could cut it out, it's impossible that we don't know what's going on in everyone else's life at all times. It's impossible that I'm not gonna see her new dress and all of a sudden compare it to mine. It's impossible I'm not gonna see the picture of her kids and compare it to mine. It's impossible I'm not gonna know that so-and-so got promoted and not automatically compare it to mine. So we need to figure out a way to long-term live a life of contentment. We gotta program it into the, hard, the hardware of our existence, of our lives. And what I wanna talk about today is how to do that. Because I believe it is possible. I believe it is possible one very simple thing. One very hard thing, but simple thing. And sometimes the, the simplest things may be hard, so it's not a matter of that, but it's not very complicated. And we're gonna see a passage here today from Proverbs chapter 11, from King Solomon, who says, Proverbs 11 to verse 24. There's one who scatters, yet increases more. And there's one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. 
The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Now again, remember who's writing these words. This is Solomon, the guy who I told you about in week one, who had more ur than you ever will even dream of having. You want big houses? He had big houses. You want rich? He had rich. You want to be famous? He was more famous than anyone. People traveled all the world to see King Solomon and to hear from him. You want girls? He had girls galore, okay? He could have three girls a day and not had any repeats for the entire year, okay? He had 300 wives, 700 concubines. Makes you wonder how he had any time to do anything in life, but he found a way. Anything you want in this world, Solomon had it. And what he says, it's not me. This is not a poor guy in the street begging for money talking about the importance of generosity. This is not a guy who has nothing talking about how to get everything. This is Solomon saying, there's one who scatters and then increases. Doesn't make sense. And there's one who withholds and it leads to nothing. The generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. Here's our key thought for today in this, in this message. The secret to having more is giving more away. The secret, I'm telling y'all a secret, don't tell anybody. The secret to having more is giving more away. And you can define more whatever you want. It's not a matter of money. This isn't a message about money. You can include money, but it's, it's whatever. What's your more that you want you figure out the more, the er that you want, and the secret to getting more is giving more away. You know, you ever done those escape room things? You ever done those escape room things, okay, where they lock you in a room and they give you clues to try to get out, okay, and, and by the end of it, you hate everyone in that room, okay? Okay, and then you sit there and you're trying to find and you're looking and, you're, and then in the end, they're like, it was the back of the thing that you were holding in your hand that had the key to, you know that, how annoying that is, okay? This is like one of those moments where it's like we spend our whole lives, our whole lives, our whole lives, how do I get more? How do I get more rich here? And how do I get more like prestigious here? And how do I get like a higher position? And how do I get people to like me? And how do I get this? And how do I get this? And how do I get this? And God says, secret? Actually, the secret to getting more is learning to give it away. And it's one of those aha moments that whatever your more is in life, if you've ever seen somebody at the end of their life, I know a lot of people here today are young, okay, young people born in the 80s and the 90s or whatever it may be. I hope no one here is born in the 2000s, but there could be like whatever it may be. So I'm taking for me like a dinosaur. I was born in the 70s. The closer and closer you get to the end, the more you have clarity on so many different things. I'm not saying I'm near the end. Don't take it that way. It's not one of those like prophetic, like he's predicting. No, I'm not. But I'm saying I've had the opportunity to be with people at the end. And I've had the opportunity. Actually, one time I was with someone in their final moments. Like I saw someone die right in front of my very eyes. Okay, so I've been with people in these last moments. And you know what every single one of them says? What every single one of them says? Every single one of them says, I wish I hadn't held on so tightly to what I had. I wish I could have enjoyed what I had and learned to share it. Every one of them says the same thing. Like, I wish I wasn't holding so tightly on everything. And I wish I learned the secret. And the secret is, that's why people who are near the end, they don't mind giving stuff away. They're happy to give stuff away because they realize that the secret isn't grabbing more, but giving more. And the more you give, the more you end up 
having. It's kind of like a smile. How do you get more people to smile at you? Case in point. The easiest way to get more of a smile is to give more of a smile. The easiest way to get you to stick your hand out and shake mine is me to stick my hand. Like that's the secret of life. And it doesn't make sense. And we, we've spent our whole life, all of culture is counterintuitive to that. And it tells us, no, that we need to grab more, grab more, grab more. But I'm telling you that true contentment, true contentment, true feeling like I have more than anybody else, true feeling of I'm the richest person in the world, true contentment comes, is born out of generosity more than anything else. Not just grateful for what I have, but willing to share it with others. And again, not about money. The person who always wants, let's kind of give some contrasting points here. The person who always wants, how come no one's there for me? How come my friends aren't there for me? How come my parents aren't there for me? How come no one's there to support me? How come no one's there to listen to me? The person who's always looking for people to be there for them will always be alone. Mark my word, that person will always be alone. If that's you, you will always be alone. You know the person who will always be surrounded by support is the person who says, how can I support you? And how can I give to you? And how can I be there in your time of need? That's the person who is going to feel like he has the richest friends in the world. He he's the richest man in the world because he has the most friends. The person who's looking always to impress others by the way he dress, by the way she dress, by the hair, by the socks, by the shoes, by the thing. The person who's always looking to impress will never be popular enough and will never feel like they're good enough. They'll always feel like they're falling short. You know who will always feel content and secure in their popularity and their friendships? It's the person who doesn't care. And the person who says, it's not about me impressing you. It's not about you just feeding my egos. How can I be there for you? And how can I tell you how great you are? And how can I listen to you? That's the person who's gonna have always abundance of friends. Because that's what King Solomon said. There's one who scatters and increases more and the generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will himself also be watered. Today, we're gonna look at two different characters from the New Testament. Actually, we're gonna look at three, but two in the first story and then one near the end. We're gonna look at some characters from the New Testament. And we're gonna see in the first story from John chapter 12, a contrast of a very generous person and a very ungenerous person, of someone who was hands open, giving and, and sharing, another person who was trying to grab as much. And you're gonna see, I'm not gonna even have to preach it. You're gonna read the text and you're going to see the same message that I'm talking about right here is that the one who is open-handed, that was the first week's verse, remember? Better one handful, open hands with tranquility and peace versus the guy who's grabbing more. And you're gonna see a generous life versus an ungenerous life and the, and, and the outcome of it. John chapter 12, starting in verse one. This is the final week of our Lord Jesus Christ's life on this earth. Okay, so this is approximately six days before he's crucified on a cross. This is the Saturday before Good Friday. Okay, so final week of Jesus' life, he's doing all this weird stuff about talking about death. No one really gets it. And then one day he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then after raising Lazarus from the dead, big miracle, he goes to the home of Lazarus and spends some time with Lazarus' family. Here's the story, John chapter 12, verse one and two. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of the ones who sat at the table beside him. Then Mary, sister of Lazarus, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped, them with her, with, wiped his feet with her hair. 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. The implication here is that Mary anointed Jesus' feet with his oil, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't like that. Okay, you like, you know when you do perfume, you, you like this right here, right here, or like, no, you know, wherever, okay, sign of the cross, whatever, okay? It wasn't that. It wasn't even like a spray kind of a thing. The understanding right here is that she came with this flask, okay, like this jar, think of like a Bunsen, or, uh, what's it, not Bunsen burner, beaker, the beaker thing from science class. She came with like a beaker thing, and she just smashed the edge off and dumped the whole thing on him, so much so that the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. The guy who put on too much cologne, okay, that guy. The whole house was filled with the fragrance from this one bottle. She was not judicious with it. She was ridiculously just throwing it off, okay, just throwing it all out as much as she can. And this oil, the scripture makes a point, is not just any kind of oil, but it's the costly kind, the very costly kind. Meaning this is not some white elephant gift that she just got and someone was in the back of the drawer. This is something that is worth approximately, you can do the math on this one for yourself, approximately one year's salary worth of oil. One year's salary, you do the math. And she just dumped it. Next verse, we see a contrast in the very next verse. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, why this fragrant oil, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money bag and he used to take what was put in it. Two characters, two mindsets. The first mindset, let's start with the bad guy is Judas. Judas's mindset was guarding the bag. Guarding the bag. And guarding the bag is a mindset which says, you don't have enough. You need more. Get more. And if some over there, get that. And you never know if you're going to run out. And, 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 and if you have to lie to get more, okay, you have to cheat, you have to bend the rules, whatever it takes, but you gotta get more. This is the person who says, you know what? My salary's not enough, I need more salary. My salary's not enough. Why, you live happy, no, I need more. Whatever I can do, get more. My house's not big enough. Why, you got everything? No, a house's not big enough. No, 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 my, uh, my wardrobe is not big enough. My friends aren't nice enough. My parents aren't there enough. This person who's always thinking of what I don't have in life. The bag mindset, the focus is on what I lack on what I lack. And if only I had this, then everything would be fine. And because I don't have this, that's why my life isn't good. And if I, and so-and-so owes me this. And that was Judas. People who have the bag mindset, guarding the bag, are always focused on what they need more and what they lack. The second mindset is the exact opposite. I'm gonna call it breaking the flask. And breaking the flask mindset is not focused on so much on what I lack, but what I have. And breaking the flask says this. Breaking the flask says, you know what? I wish I had more. I wish I had more. I wish I had a bigger house. I wish I had a better job. I wish I had a nicer car. Like, I wish I had more. Like, I wish I had more and I wish I had better. But you know what? I'm thankful for what I have. And I'm thankful for what God has given me. And I'm going to use it to the best of my ability. And I'm going to offer it with little I have, even though it's little, it's not much. Yeah, I wish I had more. Because breaking the flask doesn't mean that, you're, that you don't see reality. I wish I had more. But this is what I got. This is what God has given me. And I'm going to offer it back to him. And whatever he wants to do with it, he can, no matter how small it may be. Which are you? I painted two extremes and no one's on either of the two extremes. 
but which side you're closer to? Guarding the bag or breaking the flask? Are you a, or are you a, which one are you closer to? Two mindsets. And just so you know, just in case you're thinking, because this is a bag mindset, this is how bag mindset thinks, is you know what, Father Anthony, I would be more generous if I had more. If I had more, I'd be more generous. And I'm telling you that statistics say that's a lie. Because statistics say that actually the more one has, the less generous one is. That's fact. That's based on research. Average income in this country is somewhere between forty-five dollars and $50,000 a year. That's the average income. And the average person, United States of America, not Christian, not church, average person gives 3.1% of his money away to some kind of charity or church or whatever it may be. Average person, forty-five dollars to $50,000, gives away 3.1%. The people who make less than $10,000 a year, and for some of us, we're in Northern Virginia right here. We're in DC metropolitan area. $10,000 a year, is, is, a lot of us make more than that in a month, like if we're honest. And the people who make $10,000 a year or less, on average, give away 5.2%, almost double. The people who make more than $200,000, wanna guess the percentage? Less than 1% give away. Less than 1%, 0.7% for those who make $200,000 or more. So the issue is not your resources. The issue is not how much you have. The issue is your mindset. And the issue is not, if I had more, I would be more generous. The issue is, it's a mindset. Are you a, a bag garter or a flask breaker? And again, I'm not talking about money. This isn't about money. Money is included in this, but it's a mindset of what God has given me and do I appreciate and I'm willing to share or am I always trying to get more because I feel like I've gotten gypped in life. Here's a powerful verse right here, and I want you to take this as from God's mouth, not from mine. God says the following in Haggai 1.5. says, you consider your ways. Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And this is a harsh rebuke right here. What God is saying is every one of us needs to examine themselves. As the wise man said once back in the day, you need to check yourself or you wreck yourself. That's what God is saying. He's saying you make a lot of money, but you feel like you got nothing. You have a lot of clothes, but you never warm it up. You sow so much, but you eat so little. There's something more that's going on here. It's not a matter of resources. Consider your ways. And some of us, if we're honest, watch out. I promise you, I'm saying this. Some people in this room need to listen to exactly what I'm saying. Some people in this room need to listen to exactly what I'm saying. Some of us need to be honest and ask ourselves, why are we so discontent with what God has given to us? Why are we so discontent with what God has given to us? Consider your ways. Why are we so discontent with the kids that God has given to us? People would kill to have your kids. And why is it that we compare them to everyone else's kids and we are so discontent? Consider your ways. Why is it that we are so discontent with the parents that God gave us and they pushed me and they pushed me. Do you know how many people out there, how many orphans would love to have a parent to push them and to challenge them and to tell them to put down the TV or put down the phone and do their homework? Why are we so discontent with our spouses? Husbands, she's never gonna look like so-and-so. But you know what? She's who God made for you. And why are we so discontent? 
Yeah, she talks a lot, but there's husbands out there who or their wives left them and they won't get, can't get them to talk to them again. Ladies, you got a husband who's not romantic enough, not romantic enough, but he does the dishes, he picks up the kids and he fixes your car where it needs to be. I'm not saying he's perfect, but why are we so discontent? Consider your ways, consider your ways, says the Lord of hosts. And I could keep going. I could talk about our salary and our salary that today, that there was one time five, 10 years ago that we said, if we ever get this salary, we will live in a mansion. We will have made it. We will be on lifestyles as rich and famous. And we are making today what 10 years ago we dreamed of making. And it's still not enough. I could talk about your, your church and the complaints and we're not content with our church and our church should and our church, our friends should and our friends are never there. And I'm telling you, Consider your ways. Why are we so discontent with what God has given to us? Consider your ways. That's a Judas mindset. A Judas mindset, a bag mindset is always trying to get more. Never enough, never enough. What's the end result of guarding the bag? The end result is discontentment, frustration, chasing the wind, and ultimately, it is death. Judas's life didn't end well. The one who guards the bag, Matthew 27, 5, then Judas, then he, Judas, threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, what he spent his whole life to try to get. He betrayed Christ for pieces of silver, and in the end, he didn't even want it. Threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. I don't have enough. I need more. My life is lacking. That's the end result, is death. Spiritual death physical death, emotional health, emotional death, relational death is death. Versus the lady. The lady didn't leave dead. The lady left alive. And I wanna show you another story that has the same mentality of the lady, but in a little bit more detail. That was the, the guarding the bag mindset. Let's throw that away. Let's go to breaking the flask. And we're gonna pick up a story here from Mark chapter six. And Mark chapter six is one time where Jesus did one of his greatest miracles, but it began, the day began kind of in a what's going to happen here kind of a way, kind of a day. Jesus is out in the wilderness and he's preaching to the multitudes. And while he's out there in the wilderness, we'll pick up the story here in Mark chapter six, verse 35. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Meaning, what's that, what's, what are they saying to Jesus right there nicely? Jesus, you preach too much. Okay, so this is how you know, this is how you know your true Christian preacher, okay, when you run late. Okay, so Jesus was running late here too. So if I go a little bit late, you know what I'm saying? I'm following the master, okay? The master ran late and they're like, Jesus, let's go pick up the pace. It's getting late. It's a football game and people are hungry. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. The disciples say this and what they thought is they were like doing like the nice thing. Like it's late, people are tired. We should care about them, Jesus. So let's send them away so they can have something to eat. Because Jesus, I care that they have something to eat because I care about them, Jesus. That's the thing is I care about them. The people are hungry, Jesus. We need to care about how the people eat. Verse 37, but he answered and said, you give them something to eat. That's why you never raise your hand when Jesus is preaching, okay? You never raise your hand and volunteer or anything because he said, yeah, they should have eat. Okay, that's a good idea. Why don't you give them something to eat, okay? He always does that. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? The disciples with this one sentence, okay? 
This is a little bit of the guarding the bag mindset because it's said kind of sarcastically. The way it's being said is like, uh, okay, Jesus, we will feed them. We'll just kind of run out and grab 200 denarii worth of bread. Like we'll just go online and just order, you know, $20,000 worth of food and Pizza Hut should be here by, you know, in 30 minutes or less. And they're saying it in, in a way of like, come on, Jesus, like get with the program. We don't have enough resources to feed all these people. We're lacking. And they were. Like legitimately, they were lacking. And they're saying, come on, Jesus. If we had more, we would, but we don't have enough. Jesus was not amused by their joke. Mark 6, 38. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. This is an important part. What happened here? This is, a very, this is the most important part of the story. We don't have enough to feed all these people. And Jesus said, you're right. But tell me, what do you have? And they went out and searched. And they found five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. Question, be smart. Do you think that among the 20,000 people who were gathered on this hill, there was only five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish this day? Do you think only one little kid had a lunch? These are Middle Eastern people. Like we take lunch when we go out to get the mail, <laughs> just in case. Do you think that none of the disciples had a candy bar in his pocket? That there wasn't another kid who had a ham and cheese sandwich? That of the 20,000 people, no one else had any food to give? Or do you think the way I think, and I'm making this up, but this is how we are. Here comes the guy asking, who's got food? Who's got food here? We got a crisis, who's got food? What do you think the people did? Started hiding it or maybe, you know, eat it real quick. They're like, remember in high school, like you don't want someone to eat your french fries, yeah. <laughs> For sure other people had food, but everyone hide it. Don't show them, Jesus gonna take it. We don't have enough. What if we had more, we'd feed. If I had 20,000 sandwiches, I would gladly share. But I only got a sandwich. So don't share. No, no, keep it in your pocket. Hide it before he comes. And then I would think to myself, you know what? Why don't he give his sandwich? Like he got two sandwiches, I only got one. So yeah, you know what? We should share. And you should start with the sharing. Because compared to him, I don't have as much. And over, Big Daddy Warbucks over there, driving a big car, big, you know, fancy cart and horse or whatever it may be, fancy sandals, and he don't want to share his stuff. I'll share when he share. I'll share when she gives up her stuff. She always buying new sandwiches and stuff like that. And then there was one boy who didn't look around, who didn't say, well, I only got this, you got this, so you should. He didn't look around. He ran his race. Jesus, what'd you say? Hey, you need sandwich? I don't have much, but here's what I got. And he offered it. And that little boy's the smartest boy in the world because he knew that it wasn't a matter of what he offered. It was actually a matter of what he didn't offer. It wasn't a matter of how much he had, but it was a matter of what do you do with what you had, no matter how little it may be. And the story goes like this. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among all. So they all, listen carefully, this is the important part. They all, read it with me, they all ate and were filled. 
What do you think were filled means? They all ate and were filled. They were all content. Nobody was hungry. Nobody was looking around. Nobody was saying, but I lack, and I wish I had, and I need more. Everyone was filled. Everyone was satisfied. The breaking the flask mindset, which this boy had as well, is not about what you have, but about whose hands you put it into. It's not about what you have. It's about whose hands you put it into. It's not about the size of your house. It's about what happens on the inside of that house. Is that who does the house truly belong to? Who's the king of that house? Who sits on the throne in that house? And if truly the answer to that is God, is it's his house, and I put that house in his hands, I say, whatever you want with this house, then that house will be the biggest place no, where I won't need a bigger house. It's not a matter of my kids compared to your kids or your kids compared to the neighbor's kids. It's this is who God made my kids to be. So I'm gonna put these kids with whatever flaws, whatever weaknesses they have, I'm gonna put them in the hands of God. And I'm gonna say, God, they're your kids. And I'm gonna do my best, but they're your kids. I'm not comparing to anybody else's kids. It's not a matter of the salary that I have. It's a matter of what do I do with the salary that I have? And if what I did with the salary that I had was put it in the hands of God and I was generous with it, then I would feel like the most content man. I would feel like the richest man in the entire place. This little kid knew that a little bit with God will always be greater than a lot of it with no God. This is the principle of tithing. This is what we teach here in the church. Whenever we talk about tithing, we don't talk about the church needs to pay the electricity bill. That's not what it is. We don't care about that stuff. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't want your money. But it's a matter of a little bit of money. 90% of my money with God is greater than 100% of my money without God. And I'll go to the grave saying that. And I, I told people many times, you don't believe me? Try it. Try it. Try to be generous with your money. Try to tie to the church and then come back and let me know. And if you don't, if you don't feel the blessing of God in your life, I'll give it back to you. I'll write you a check right there on the spot. Because it's not a matter of what is it that you have, it's a matter of what do you do with what you have. Jesus said it this way, Acts 20, verse 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I have my own kind of way of, of making this, like I'm, this, 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 this concept, making it a little more tangible. Okay, and what's, what's what I call God math. Okay, so when you were in school, you took like math, math, but here in church, we do God math. And God math doesn't always add up the same kind of way. It sounds like it should because it's God math and God math should never be wrong, but it's not wrong. It's just better than right. So here's God math, okay? Let me tell you human math, two equations, and I'll show you how God math works. So human math starts off with one plus one equals two. And one plus one always equals two. And one plus one equals two means that whatever my resources are, the output is connected to the input, which is logical. So if I have five sandwiches, I can feed five people. That's logical. My output is dictated by my input, and that's logical. The problem with this approach is it leads to discouragement because you look around at your resources and you say, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. My kids aren't good enough. My house isn't good enough. My wife isn't good enough. My husband's not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to do all, I'm not good enough. And it leads to discouragement. So then there is the next option. We got rid of that first one. And the next one also makes sense with human math. Okay, math, math, which is zero. You know what the little sideways eight means? Back to calculus class, it means? 
infinity, very good, the little eight that's sideways. Zero plus infinity equals infinity. This is logical. And this is the approach that says that, you know what? It doesn't matter what I do because God is everything. And you know what? I'm just gonna sit back and watch God do his thing. So I'm not gonna complain about what, I'm, what I have, but I'm not gonna do anything with what I have either because God's gonna do everything. And this is the approach that leads to laziness because it puts it all on God and not enough, not anything on me. You know how God math works? God math isn't one plus one equals two. It's not zero plus infinity is infinity. It's five plus two equals 5,000. Five plus two equals 5,000. And that is the math of blessing. Let me ask you this way. In the story, the boy gave five pieces of bread, two pieces of fish, fed 5,000. What would have happened if he had given four pieces of bread instead of five? Would the story be the same? Would it be the same? Someone asked a good question. Someone said four or four out of five. Agree with me on this. That if the boy had four pieces of bread and two pieces of fish and he gave all those, the story would have been exactly the same. But if he had five and gave four, the story would not have been the same. You agree? That's five plus two equals 5,000. Is that the input is connected to the output, but not in a linear way. Not in a one plus one equals two way. It's not one plus one. It's not four pieces, feed four. It's actually whatever it is, feed so many, but it's gotta be all. There's a scary story, which we're not gonna read right now, but those who grew up in Sunday school and went to church their whole life and read the Bible, there's a story in Acts chapter five, which is a scary story. You can read it when you go home. It's a story about two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who came, they sold their plot of land, all right, and they sold their house, and they came to the apostles and gave half of that to them, okay, and they donated half of that, okay? I, earlier, talking, I was talking tithing as 10%, and we struggled with that. They gave 50%, and they got struck down dead. Why? Because they held back 50%. And it wasn't, that, it wasn't that, that God wanted all the money as much as they came and said, this is all we can offer. This is all we have. They said, really? They said, you lying to God? So you agree with me that if it was five pieces, I'm sorry, if it was four pieces of bread and that's all, all they had, fine. But if it was four out of five, that's a different story. So I say it this way. Sometimes it's not about what you have, but about what you're holding back. Sometimes it is not a story. Your story will not be determined by what you have, but it will be determined by what you are holding back. So you know what? Maybe you don't need more er. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't need just a little bit more. Maybe you need to be better at using the er that you got. Maybe you need to stop comparing and saying, I need more and I got to have. And maybe you need to be better at taking what God has given you and being generous with it. Because we saw Judas who wanted more. No one touched the bag. No one touched it. It's not enough. Give me that over there and give me this. And ended up him death and betraying his Lord. And then we saw a lady, Mary, in John chapter 12, who said, this oil, all I got, all yours. A little boy came in Mark chapter six saying, this is all I got and it can do nothing, but it's all yours, Jesus. I'm not comparing. And we see the blessing that came from it. Maybe you don't need a little bit more er. 
maybe you need a little more generosity with the herb that you got. You know why generosity is so important? You know why generosity is so important? And again, I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about life. You figure out what you want more of and learn to be generous with that. You want better friends? Learn to be more generous with your current friends, All right? You want uh, more prestige? You wanna be more famous or whatever it is? You wanna be more known? Learn how to be generous with what God has given you, the platform God has given you. Okay, and learn how to be generous and use that for the sake of others, not yourself, and just see what God does. You know why generosity is so important? Generosity is the number one characteristic, the defining characteristic of God. If you cut God down to his core, scripture says God is love, but love is a very big word. So I don't like to use the word love because love means different things. Who is God? God is generous. He is a giver. In fact, you know it so well. You know that the one verse that defines Christianity more than any others, and God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world that he gave, that the manifestation of God's unfailing love, his eternal love for us, is his generosity in giving that which was most valuable, his only begotten son. He didn't hold back his only begotten son. The father said, my son is more precious to me than anything in this world, and he did not hold his son back. And the son, Jesus himself, though he lived on this earth as poor, you know that, right? That Jesus was poor, Jesus was peasant in a society that was defined by social class. Jesus was at the bottom. Jesus said, the scripture says that the son of man had no place to lay his head, he had no pillow. He had no, his family disowned him and thought he was crazy, right? He had nothing, yet he was always giving. He was always listening to others, never complaining about himself. He was always serving. He always went and said, who's here sick that I can heal? Who here's blind that I can cure? Who here's lonely that I can befriend? Who here's down that I can pick up? Who here's in need of somebody? And he always came as a generous giver. Even I think about it sometimes and I'm just making this stuff up. I'm thinking you got father, son, Holy Spirit, all right? And you got father up there and you got Holy Spirit there. And they said, son, one, someone has to go down to earth and die on a cross. Mm, and like it was nose game, okay? And like Jesus lost the nose game. So you have to go down to earth. And you don't ever see him complain. Say, how come your father, you up there sitting up there and just shouting down stuff and Holy Spirit just fly around like a dove and just give people stuff. And here I am carrying a cross and dying. Like, how's that fair? But that's not Jesus. Jesus gladly, gladly gave all that he had. And he died on a cross. He gave his whole life. Because he knew the secret to life is giving. And I just did you a favor by sharing that with you today. Maybe the reason why you're not truly living is because you're trying to take and grab more. And maybe if you shift your mindset, you find out that you have a lot more than you realize. Back to our verse. Proverbs 11. Can we read this all together? I feel like it'll stick more in our heads. Let's read this all together. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Everyone say this part. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. You know that little boy with the five loaves and two fish? You know when I think about him? I think about him every Sunday. Because every Sunday... We gather here together around the table of the Lord, okay, for the divine liturgy, liturgy of the Eucharist before the well. And every Sunday, we offer bread on the altar. And I feel like that bread, that's us. 
Okay, we offer bread, but what we're really offering is ourselves in the bread. So the bread is carrying all of us. It's carrying our prayers of repentance. It's carrying our, 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 our faith. It's carrying our struggles. It's carrying whatever it is. Like we're putting all on the bread. And then we're offering the bread up to God. And then God does his thing. He blessed, he broke. Then he gives it back to us, but not the same kind of bread. Question for you. When we offer that bread to God, what if it's like undercooked? Will it still work? Or will God be like, eh, the bread's undercooked, send it back. What if it's a little overcooked one Sunday, a little crunchy, got a little burn to the bottom of it? Will it still work as like body and blood? The answer is yes. Okay, this is, okay. This is not a trick question. Yeah, the answer is yes. What if it's like, you know, the crumbly kind of bread? Or, you know, like the underdone? Eh. Does it matter what kind of bread it is? All that matters is one thing. Do we put it in his hands or we don't put it in his hands? Because if it's undercooked or overcooked?